can today at fellowship. Um, together we stand. You can stay seated for the moment. Um, but that whole thing of, of how do we do uh, life together? And one of that, the foundational aspects of our spiritual growth is the people that are around us, the people that are supporting us, the people that are cheering us on, the people who are encouraging us, people who are challenging us, and as we do that, one for another uh, in our lives as well, across the generations with our peers, whoever it might be. I think probably one of the greatest uh, enemies of community, one of the greatest enemies of fellowship is consumerism. Um, you know, there are so many things in our lives that we try to numb, people try and numb life with, you know, um, we, escapism, telly, you know, uh, drinking, drugs, the world does all sorts of things uh, to numb uh, our lives. But the most prevalent of them all is consumerism. And it's something that affects uh, every one of us. Um, and it can destroy us without us even noticing. It becomes something that's very enjoyable, becomes something that's very easy, something that's very comfortable. Um, and so we're drawn into it, uh, uh, wanting more and more in life, or we need the next fix, or we get so bored, and then we just move on to the very next thing. And you see the toll that takes on society. You see the debt that people are in, the loneliness that people experience, uh, the inability to kind of develop meaningful relationships and good connections with other people, um, and uh, struggling to get in life or it's always wanting to take um, for themselves. A guy called Chris Rogers uh, put it like this. He said, uh, in the long term, this affects the culture of the church and has left church desiring smoke machines over authenticity, shallow relationships over sincerity, and the never-ending movement of people looking for the perfect church. I've always wanted to find another church, find the perfect church for them, whether it's hipster church or trendy church or me.com church, but something that puts me um, at the center of it. And so we have this continual kind of hopscotch of people moving from church to church to church to church because of that very thing. A place where we get what we want when we want it, just like everything else in, in life, rather than being challenged by those that are different to us um, and learn, learning to have that wider view uh, of Jesus. And so you can't build a church built on consumeristic people because as soon as you don't meet people's felt needs, then they move on to somewhere else. But disciples, which is what we're called to be, are people who have died to our own agendas and we're now living for Jesus's agenda and the needs of others. And so I came across this question here. It's not ours, it's not mine, um, but it's uh, somebody put this question of how do you know if you're a consumer Christian? Um, here are just a few of the questions that are on it. Um, do you go to church to be served or do you, do you go to serve? I know there's a beautiful kind of element of service amongst the congregation here. Um, you know, do you give financially to your church? Uh, do you turn up to church feeling like you're entitled to be led in the worship songs or hymns you prefer or are you grateful for having a place to worship? Um, do you focus on your personal preferences or on what other people's preferences and needs might be? And then fifthly, do you arrive and wonder why no one welcomed you? Or do you ask, who is there that I could welcome? You get the idea of it anyway. And uh, Jesus has called us to pick up our cross and to die to ourselves so that there's less of us in life and there's more of Jesus. And the goal is to be none of us because we are dead and all of Jesus because he's alive. That is the heart of discipleship. And the consumeristic life uh, places me at the center of, of it all. You know, we take what we want when we want it and we turn up only when it suits us and it fits our taste uh, of things. 
And that's challenging. That's challenging to all of us. Um, but we find that me is right at the center of even the word consumerism. But a disciple um, is someone who puts Jesus at the center rather than ourselves. You know, he says, where two or three are gathered, there I am. Okay, that he is there when we meet together. So a consumer will turn up to church and take what they can. A disciple will be the church. A, dis- a consumer will come to church and hear the message. A disciple will be learning how to be the message as they live it out uh, in their lives. It's still okay to have needs. You know, we come to, 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 to receive as well as to give, um, but the healthy balance is both of those. And so the book of Hebrews um, is written to Christians, converts from Judaism, who are falling back into their old comfort zone. They're falling back into their ways of living, which for them was a kind of a familiar Jewish faith um, and the religious culture that they had. And so the writer argues for some 10 chapters, which is why we got to chapter 10, that faith in Jesus is far superior than what they had, that the the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant and the sacrifice that Jesus has made that makes this possible is what it's all about. And then he gets to chapter 10 and verse 19 and he says, therefore, therefore, because of all this that he's gone through, therefore, and he's beginning to make some conclusions about what it's all about. And uh, he lists then three conclusions, which is what I want to look at this morning. And all of them begin with letters. Let us, okay, us, okay, that, that importance of being together, that importance of everyone being involved one to another um, to that. So the first conclusion he draws because of all this, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we come together to draw near to God. Where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is amongst us. And uh, we come with full assurance. So a quick question. On a scale of one to 10, um, how assured are you that you stand right before God? Um, How certain are you of your faith and eternal life that you are absolutely forgiven Okay, no conferring on this one. Just come up with a number. Okay, anywhere one to ten. And I'm, there's no judgment on what your answer is. Just where, where's the reality in your life? Has everyone got a, a number or an approximate? Okay, probably if you're a nine or a ten, then that's, that's pretty good and healthy. Um, if you're an eight or a seven or a six or you've got no idea, then I would encourage you to have a conversation with someone. I'd encourage you to chat to someone even before you leave today. Perhaps even come on the Alpha course. That may be a great place for you to begin to work through that assurance, that full assurance of faith that you might have. And uh, you can tell someone beside you before the end what your number was. But um, assurance is probably the number one struggle that any new Christian has. Okay, nearly everybody who's come to faith really ultimately struggles with this early on in their lives. Do, am I really forgiven? Am I really accepted? And uh, so I've got this picture. You might have seen it before. And this is of a, of a mouse in a wheelbarrow. It's colored in. Um, and the eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that there's a little, I went over on the thumb. It's, it's gone out of the thumb slightly, just, just a little bit. So not lack of concentration there. But a lot of people think Christianity is like a coloring in exercise. And if you get all the colors inside the lines, you might just get this. You might just get God's love and acceptance. 
that might be your reward. If you're super neat, if you're super sweet, if you are super nice, you went to church, you sang the right songs, then God might like you. That's the deal that we think it is. The pr- trouble is, is that I was, I was this, okay? Um, and even now, you know, you, you get angry about something and you either, it either comes out as you shout, as you, you don't know, your bicycle or something or that some other road user or you, you fume inside and stay silent. But there's still, we cross the lines all the time. We, we are way outside the lines. Um, but what I've discovered is that messy mouse is loved. Okay, messy mouse is loved. And behind all of it is the cross. God's grace, God's free, undeserved forgiveness. You know, Hebrews 10 and verse 10, just a few verses before where Tim read, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He died once for everyone. Verse 17, it says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Verse 19, therefore, since we have confidence, and we have confidence because God's word says so. We have confidence because Jesus did on the cross something that completely dealt with it all, the work of Christ. We have confidence because the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God and uh, makes it real and starts transforming uh, our hearts and our lives. Therefore, let us draw near to God with the full assurance that faith brings. And we need one another to maintain that full assurance. We need one another to accept us as well and to forgive us as well so that we live in the reality of what what we say we believe. And therefore we need one another as we walk in assurance. The second thing, the second conclusion that he comes to in verse 23 is this. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I want you to focus on that word unswervingly. Okay, so the question is, what causes you to swerve in your faith? Okay, what causes us to swerve and go off? Um, we've looked before at the book of Hebrews and how the, the Hebrews were, were swerving from God's word. Um, they were, in chapter two, it talks about them uh, drifting from God's word. Chapter three and four talks about them doubting God's word. Uh, chapter uh, five, they're dulled to God's word. Then they start to despise God's word. And eventually in chapter 10, um, it says that they deliberately go on sinning. They're defying God's word. Okay, so one of the things we can swerve from is God's word, okay, that causes us to not hold to the faith that we have. But there are many other things in life that cause us to swerve. The struggles of life can cause us to swerve. The worries of life, says Jesus, and the, uh, the desires for other things choke faith in us. They cause us to swerve. Um, materialism, comfort, um, it can be relationships. Um, it can be persecutions that we experience uh, because of our faith that cause us to swerve. And I want you just for a minute, just, to, just maybe twos, or if you don't want to do it in twos, you can reflect on your, what causes you to swerve? What are some of the things that cause you to swerve in your faith? Okay, so just give you a few minutes. Things that, that take us off beam from holding on to the clarity of faith that, that we should have and, and we live to. So little question. Okay, so maybe, maybe you've, you've come up with some things, some things that just begin to think about. It's a good question to think about, I think, in our lives. And it, it helps us also to think through how can we not swerve and how can we 
help others in not swerving. And probably you've heard different things from other people. I remember a preacher talking uh, about a Christian student, um, and they had questions about the Bible. You know, is the, can you really trust the Bible? This was his big question. And he came to see this, uh, this guy uh, about, and that was his question. And the, and the guy said to me, he just said, so are you sleeping with your girlfriend? And he said, what's that got to do with it? So he felt a little bit uncomfortable about the question, and clearly it was an issue. And he said, what's that got to do with it? He said, well, it's got everything to do with it. He says, because what you believe affects what you behave. And if, if you believe one thing and you behave in another way, you've got a choice. You've either got to change your beliefs to match and justify your behavior, or, okay, which is the, the Jesus way, you change your behavior to come in line with your beliefs. But if you don't, you're just pulled in two completely opposite directions. So you have to either change your beliefs, which is, is not a good way, but the, the Jesus way, the repentance way, is to change your behavior to come in line with your beliefs. And, uh, uh, and so that's, that's what we do. We, we turn our behaviors to match our beliefs, our faith in God's word and in Jesus' way. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, and he warns him, he just says, again, he, says, you know, he talks about swerving so much that it's shipwrecked. Okay, that, that people shipwreck their faith. You know, you can imagine, okay, a ship or a car, you know, you're swerving so erratically that it flips. Um, and then he lists some people who have shipwrecked their faith because they've, they've swerved, if you like, so, so much. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for, we, for he who promised is faithful. And as we'll see, we, we need one another to help us to, to do that, to hold unswervingly. And so the third conclusion he comes to, verses 24 to 25, from the therefore, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're to consider how to spur one another on uh, to love and to good deeds. And uh, so it's been really encouraging this morning as, as Kramath has shared uh, some of the things he's doing, you know, and he can encourage others and we can encourage him to the love and good deeds that he's expressing um, in how he's doing that. And um, we're to give thought to it. What helps me? So what helps me to do that? What helps other people to do that? Um, great questions. You know, when you go down to the gym, um, if you're ever down there for anything to train for something, usually you see the, 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 the training partner. You know, you see two guys or two girls at the weights together, turns each. You know, Anthony Joshua with these sparring partners in the boxing ring. You know, it might be a running group in the park. The thing that keeps you going is doing it with some others. The cycle group that head off to the lickies uh, every week or whatever it might be. So one of the first things I did when I first came to Birmingham was to find another Christian find another Christian that I could pray with, that we could evangelize with, we could support one another, we could be accountable to one another, um, and we'd meet up every week to do that. Later on uh, in my journey, um, I remember being at a prayer meeting at Riverside, and uh, there was a guy beside me, and I just asked him the question, so who's, who's getting alongside you, who's encouraging you? And he said, oh, no one really. So I said, let's meet up, okay? You know, let's make Thursday morning, let's meet up and inspire one another and sharpen one another. Um, as the proverb goes, let's do it together. Um, and later on, we um, developed, helped develop that little tool, sharpen one another. We've got some copies at the back. Just lists of questions that help people to do what that proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, to sharpen one another uh, in our faith. Uh, you know, 
And then not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And it really interesting. We watched a TED Talk recently, um, and it was about soldiers coming back from war and suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder. And how there's a massive increase, particularly from the Gulf Wars, Afghanistan and the rest, of the increase of mental health issues amongst uh, soldiers. But somebody did some research and thought there's been plenty of uh, warring nations and cultures in the world and in history who don't seem to suffer with the same mental health issues. So they looked at, for example, some of the Red Indian tribes who you know, have a culture of whatever they do. Remember the cowboy Indian films, anyway, whatever. Um, but, and yet they don't have the same mental health issues. And what they discovered is the difference is they were coming back into a community where people accepted them and, and understood them. Whereas people coming back from some of these, these wars around the world are coming back to, a, are not coming back to any sort of community. They're just so isolated and there's no acceptance. And the difference in how it affects people's mental health, the difference we make together as people is huge. Um, that whole thing uh, of fellowship. And to consider, in one sense, is to be considerate. So we are considerate when we think about ways to spur someone on. Okay, we are considerate when we commit to meeting up with others to encourage them, whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's the joint gatherings that we come to, whether it's our life groups, our community groups, the youth group, the kids group, uh, prayer partners, you know, whatever that looks like, we are considerate when we meet together. And the writer implies we are inconsiderate when we start to neglect those things. And the word neglect or give up, as it says in the NIV, means to fail to do what we should be doing, to abandon, to forsake, to quit. And so we are strongly encouraged in the scriptures to meet up with others for the building up of one another. Because that's where Jesus is. When we gather together, Jesus is there amongst us. And so we come together to draw near to God, to remind one another of God's full assurance despite our failures, to help one another, to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, to spur one another on to, towards love and good deeds, to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's all this one another, one another, one another. And uh, the day that approaches um, is the day when Jesus returns. Just in the previous chapter, famous verse, Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment, there's, there's no second chance. We have this life. So Christ has sacrificed, was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we encourage one another to wait for him, staying faithful and true, fighting the good fight, running the race of life right to the finishing line. We're there to encourage one another. And then in Hebrews 10, in this chapter, a few verses on, but in just a little, very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay, but it, the righteous will live by faith. And so as we consider how to encourage one another, I think it's helpful um, that we see this word is used in its three contexts. So the word for encourage is translated three different ways, three different flavors. And so I've gone for ice cream flavors, okay? I've gone for the, the, the traditional top ones, the chocolate, the vanilla, the strawberry, just as a way of kind of thinking about this. Uh, go with me. And uh, in the context of suffering, the word encourage is, is, is translated as comfort. 
So we bring comfort. I've gone for chocolate because that's like the comfort flavor, isn't it? You know, comfort eating, chocolate. Anyway, pushing it, I know. But 2 Corinthians, which is a whole book on hardship and a whole book on suffering, in verses 3 to 7, nine times this word is there. The God of all comfort. Comfort one another with the comfort that you've received. And it's the word encourage. So when people are hurting, when people are suffering, when people are grieving loss, we encourage by bringing comfort. Or maybe even a chocolate ice cream, I don't know. The second flavor, and the second is in the context of temptation. So let's go for strawberry, the red, the warning flavor, if you like. And here it's translated exhortation, to exhort. So in Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 5, in your struggle against sin, you have forgotten that word of encouragement or exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters. So the encouragement is to resist, encourage people to resist temptation with love, obviously, with humility, with grace, you know, but for the grace of God go I, the strawberry flavor. Then there's vanilla and uh, the more general flavor where the just to simply encourage one another, to urge one another on in the faith, to live well, uh, to live true, to keep going. I'll put extra scoops on this one. You can't give enough scoops of encouragement. Okay, I've gone for three. I couldn't fit any more on, but uh, I'd like a few more on there. And it simply means to, to call out courage in people, to call out strength in people. You can do this with God. Um, you know, God does not always give us explanations but he does give us his promises and it's by his promises that we live. Not always understanding things. Courage and strength to face the suffering as we walk through difficult times, you know, when it costs us. Courage and strength to resist temptation when the battle is on. Stand firm. Courage and strength to hold fast to the faith, you know, when the pressures appear, when the doubts come, when apathy sets in, when our patience wanes perhaps. Um, in fact, the, a word of prophecy is a word of encouragement. It should always be, uh, have one of these flavors to it in encouraging people to carry on in the faith because it's the very heart of who God is. He is the God of all encouragement, the God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit, the name, the word for it is parakletos. The word for encouragement is paraklesis. It is virtually the same word. Okay, It's that at the very heart of who God is, is to encourage. So what was the chocolate flavor? Comfort, very good, um, when people are suffering. Strawberry flavor, exhort, very good, graciously, of course, when tempted. And the vanilla flavor, encourage all the time, extra scoops. Um, and as somebody once said, as long as somebody's breathing, they need encouraging. So you can check the person next to you. If there's still breath coming out of them, then they need encouraging, uh, even today. I get another quote I love, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me, I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you, but encourage me and I will not forget you. It is powerful. So right as we started, a consumer is someone who will hear a message, but a disciple is someone who will be a message. And so a contributing Christian, a disciple, is someone who can embrace both the beautiful bits of church community and the messy bits of church community, because we understand that Jesus embraces both the beauty within us and also that messy mouse bit of us as well. Um, so I want you to just take a couple of minutes um, just now and just to think through these questions. Who do you know who needs encouraging? 
what flavor of encouragement do you think they need? Uh, and how could you encourage them? And then maybe if you've got time, just to think through, who do you have around you? Are you in a group? Do you have people who are supporting you in some way? So just as the band come up, maybe just think through those questions. Just reflect on them yourself this morning.